One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that extracts stories from our guests' lives with the help of the songs that have become fused with their memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Mike Walcher. Mike grew up in the Chicago area and received his Bachelor of Science in Journalism from Northwestern University and his Master's in Journalism from Columbia University. He worked for 42 years as an anchor and reporter in radio and TV news, first in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, then Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, and finally here in southwest florida he says he was almost always a hard and breaking news reporter covering things like the police beat courts politics and local government he also did some feature and investigative work but it was mostly day-to-day hard news and on-set anchoring Mike retired from broadcasting at the end of 2016 and immediately started teaching journalism at Florida Gulf Coast University. He's currently teaching the new Democracy Watch course and fellowships at FGCU and is working closely with us here at WGCU. Hey there, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you're, uh, you're very welcome, and thank you for doing it on such short notice. So first question, were you listening to music in the car on your way here this morning? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of what course. What were you listening to, and how were you listening to it? <laughs> I was listening on, believe it or not, Sirius XM, uh, 10 spot, hits of the, tw- the 2010s. Hits of the 2010s. Yeah, what an odd little demographic. How, why Why that one? Is that what you're into right now? No. I, yeah, I kind of like some of the sound of it. I like some of the rap. I like the hip-hop. Uh, and it's fairly recent. And, and I switch around. Sirius has got everything on it, as you know. And when I'm not listening to WGCU, which I should be doing most of the time, um, I catch something like hits of the 80s, 70s, 60s, some Broadway hits, whatever. Broadway Channel. T- do you ever turn on music on your FM dial? Uh, not anymore. I don't. Hmm. Very few people do. I'm mm. wondering how those stations stay in business. I don't know um, Okay, so your bio says that you grew up in the Chicago area. Give us a little bit more detail on what that means. Well, I, um, I, I was exposed to um, all kinds of different influences uh, in, in there. Um, I lived in the Chicago suburbs. had a great education. It's a wonderful school district I was in, junior high school, high school. Um, I was born in Houston, but then uh, Dad got transferred up to the Chicago area. I went to Northwestern for my um, undergrad degree in journalism and um, and on from there. But um, I became interested in music, as I guess most young people do, uh, in their teen years. And I was fortunate that I um, became interested in music, not only from what my parents played when I was really, really young, which goes back a long, long way. We're talking Perry Como and that kind of era and Sinatra and so on. Um, but I became interested in the in the early days of, of rock, early Beatles, Rolling Stones, Cream, the Yardbirds, if you can remember, believe that, with Eric Clapton. Yeah, uh, his original, one of his original groups, I think. Um, and then just continued and became a huge rock fan from that point on. And that doesn't necessarily influence the choices that I've made for three songs, but that's when I became, everybody was into rock at that time. That was, that was it. What was the first band or musician that really got your attention? I would say the first was probably, um, if it wasn't the Beatles, and everybody was kind of into them in that era, but uh, Herman's Hermits, hmm. yeah. I don't know why. I love uh, the, the British accent, you know, was uh, that was the British invasion, and I was just fascinated. Uh, and some of their songs, uh, as much of, shall we say, we now, you later called it bubblegum uh, pop music, <laughs> bubblegum stuff, uh, super simple lyrics and so on, but it, it had a great melody to it. And for a 12-year-old, you know, that was fantastic. The very first concert I ever attended was at the Charlotte County Fair in the 80s when the Monkees were having their big revival on MTV. <laughs> and it was Monkees were the headliner and um, Gary Puckett and the Union Gap and Herman's Hermits opened. Oh, fantastic. So I was like 12 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> oh, God. That is, that's some pretty vintage stuff there. Now, you mentioned 
And Gary Puckett, that incredible number of hits in the mid-60s. Um, big star. What is the earliest musical memory you can recall if we ask you to try to flash back? Good question. Um, my parents loved Perry Como, who I think was one of the underappreciated vocalists of that time. He kind of got lost in the wash of being Crosby and Sinatra. Uh, but somewhere in the late 50s, he had a hit about um, uh, put a ring, uh, ring goes around and, and love makes the world go around or something to that effect. Um, and that's the first song that I remember. And they played it over and over again. And I remember that I hear it every once in a while on, you know, serious hits of the 50s. And um, that was the first one that I remember, a, hmm. a love song from Perry Como. About how old would you have been if you had to guess? Probably six, five or hmm. six. Yeah. Um, do you have brothers or sisters? I had younger sisters. Did you influence them musically? You know, I don't think I did, really. Um, they made their own choices. Um, they were like within two to five years, six years younger than me, not that that much younger. And they followed into rock and then in the 1970s, pop music. One of my sisters became a, a huge fan of some of the softer pop phenomenon in the in the 70s and early 80s. Not so much hard rock. Um, became a big Rod Stewart fan, for example, and mm. some of that kind of that sort of genre. Do you remember the first music that you owned? That was something that either you purchased or you wound up with because you chose to have it. Oh, uh, it, it, uh, Beatles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Beatles singles. Um, I want to hold your hand. Uh, yeah, I think that was the first one. And I also had the first album, um, Meet the Beatles, I guess it was. I think it was. The one that introduced them to America with that had so many hits on it. Were you sitting in a living room in the suburbs of Chicago when they were on the Ed Sullivan show? Yes. Absolutely. So you saw that with your own eyes. Yes, I did. What was that like? I, you know, at the time, I was fascinated by it and was totally into it. I didn't really know what I was watching. I didn't know why they sounded the way they did, but I knew that I liked the beat. And um, <laughs> their name came from the beat, the Beatles. Um, and it was so different from anything that was out there at the time. That And, and, I, and I love their hair. So different as well from shall we say, early to mid-60s normal haircuts uh, that were accepted in middle America. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember the fascination. And, of course, everybody at, at school at that time totally into them. That's all I can did talk your, about. What did your folks think of their music and their hair? Uh, didn't like the hair very much. I don't remember a whole lot of other comments they made. If they had them, they kept them pretty much to themselves. I have a suspicion they were not fans, but they never really spoke, uh, said anything. Or they certainly never were the type who went on tirades against or anything or made it political. Fortunately, back then it was kind of okay. This is this is good good music, and I know there were those who perhaps mm, tried to make more out of it than it was, but eh, you know they didn't make a big problem out of it. Did you or any of your friends ever try to emulate their hair? Uh, yes, we did, and tried to uh, emulate their um, playing, you know, like play along, like you're playing on the drums and so on. And, of course, I couldn't carry a beat. I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket or carry a beat no matter what. But we tried. And some of the – yes, and I did have some friends who, who grew some longer hair, or they tried anyway, but it takes a long time to grow hair that long <laughs> as they had the mop top. So you sound like you probably didn't play any musical instruments. Is that the case? No, I didn't. I, I tried clarinet when I was in um, junior high or high school, I forget, and did not do particularly well, wasn't really excited or interested in it. And I never did any kind of voice training or had the ability to carry a tune or anything like that. Is there any instrument that you wish you could play that if you could choose to learn it like magically, you would? Oh, violin. Violin? Yeah. Hmm. Why? Um, it has such a range, and I've become appreciative over it over the decades, um, how expressive it can be, uh, just the various notes that can be hit, and um, 
a superb violinist, I just think is is marvelous. I mean, it can, it can almost make the, the instrument, almost make it sing, almost a human voice to it, if they know what they're doing. Yeah, it can certainly create sort of magical spaces, that's yes, for sure. Can, yes. um, okay, well, it is time for your first song. It's the West Side Story song, right? Yes. Would you like to tell a story? Would you like to listen to it? How would you like to proceed? Well, let's go ahead and listen to it first, and uh, then we'll talk. All right, okay. This is Mike Walcher's first song here on Three Song Stories. It's the duet tonight from the original score of West Side Story from 1957. So what's the story? Oh, my goodness. This takes me back, and you may laugh at this, to my first crush on a... uh, (laughs) A young lady. Uh, I was probably 14. And I, I had heard this song, and I don't recall if the parents played it or what. I certainly didn't go to the movie because I, I think we, I didn't see the movie, the 61 version, until years later. But anyway, I heard the song, and I thought, this is the way I'm feeling about this young lady. And I, I was trying to get a grip on my feelings at that time because a few months before, I had nothing to do with girls. I just wanted to hang out with my buds and play ball. You know, as you do at that age, that's all I want to do is uh, play basketball, football, uh, baseball in the summer. And uh, girls, they go and do their own thing. But now suddenly I met a young lady and crush. Um, and... I guess this song resonated and just stuck with me all these years, decades later, um, as being very important as to what is this that I'm feeling? What is this? It's You can't explain it. It's like, as Tony says at the end, I love you. Just <laughs> pure and simple. Uh, the world stands, the world stops, the world stands still. The night is light. The world is light at night. How can that be? Well... When you meet somebody, uh, that's the way it is at first. And it struck me that way. And I know this, you're going to say this, this guy is kind of sappy, isn't he? Yeah, it's sappy. <laughs> but I, this this song just struck, stuck to me all these years and decades later. And um, and I remember with the, the young lady, I started feeling, okay, it's okay to feel this way. We're going to go to the ice skating rink, and we're going to skate, and then we're going to go to the warming shack and hold hands for a while. And it's like, okay, is this what this love thing is about? I guess maybe this is sort of getting at it. And um, so the lines, the lyrics, Sondheim's, Stephen Sondheim's lyrics, incredible. At the end, when you dream, dream of me. Uh, Oh, my goodness, that just says it all. We embrace sappiness on this show, for no, oh, so no worries oh, there. Oh, thank goodness. And um, what, what was her name? Uh, Lorraine. 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 Did you yeah. guys, like, date or anything yes, for a while? Yes, we did. Or was we did so, for a while, yes. How long were you together? Oh, I don't know, probably several months off and on, if you can call it together at that age. Right. I don't know. And then, then we got into went into high school and kind of went our separate ways, different groups, different cliques, big high school, big suburban school in those days. Um, and, um, you know, so we, we kind of went our different ways, um, drifted apart, I guess you'd say, but, uh, yes, I still remember to this day, those feelings, um, and this song really kind of, you know, sort of summarized it, I guess. Was she aware of this song being something that was resonating with you? Uh, no, no, she. I don't. I'm sure I never mentioned it to her. I would have been too embarrassed. <laughs> it, it took a while for me even to mention it to myself. I think for a while, because this is not, you know, this is not a. Um, well, anyway, as I said, it was sappy. Okay, so, <laughs> and, uh, and I uh, and I'm generally have not throughout my adult life, when I became an adult, generally not into a whole lot of sap, although at the end of this hour, you may feel differently and say, this guy is real sappy, you know. Yeah, you still aren't <laughs> admitting it to yourself. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> or to others. Or to others. Yeah. Um, so musical theater, is that something that's you know holds a special place in your heart in general, or was this like an outlier? Yeah, this was an outlier. I had no idea what Broadway was about. I had no idea what West Side Story was about. Anything like that. I didn't see the movie until many, many years later. However, I have over, as an adult, I did become uh, a fan of 
Broadway and musical theater. And I just have great appreciation for um, for Bernstein. Sondheim passed away last what Thanksgiving time. Um, Jerome Robbins, who was the um, director, producer of West, West Side Story. I mean, it just, I think um, when you look at uh, American theater and certainly musical theater, to, to call it a landmark doesn't do it justice considering that it that we're talking about 1957, a very, very different America and very different perceptions in the audience. I um, I just have great appreciation for the, I mean, the genius that uh, that you see in, in the, uh, in this musical. Do you have a favorite uh, Broadway show? Um, probably it would be uh, Phantom, if I had to have one fa- uh, favorite. And I've seen it a couple times on Broadway, fortunate enough to have done that. And um, I think, again, once again, you've got, well, you have in in um, Phantom, Unrequited Love, uh, and uh, the the incredible emotion and um, the theme of of, of the love, um, and that um, it resonates so well. And the music is just so incredible in uh, in Phantom. Do you go to see shows here in town? Um, not a whole lot, to be honest. I don't. I wish I I should do more, and I don't. I think we kind of got out of the habit of it the past two years because of uh, the virus. And um, I hate to say the last time I saw a show on Broadway would have been back in uh, 2018, I think, probably. We went up and saw, it was 17 or 18, went up and saw Josh Groban performance, The uh, the Great Comet, and, uh, and a couple of other things, too. Newsboys and a few others, but um, it's fantastic to see, to be in those classic old theaters and to hear the sound systems and to see and to hear the music. It is so magical to be to be there for that. You said before we started recording that you were hoping to do some traveling this summer. Will you try to integrate, you know, music or or theater into that trip? Uh, I don't know that that's going to fit in exactly. Um, I know we're going to have a chance to see, you know, I know one of our trips, I believe, we're on, uh, I know we're going to be on a cruise ship. Uh, if everything There'll be some singing well. on that. And there'll be some singing <laughs> there. There'll be some... They, they always do some productions, and and I enjoy those. Those are certainly not a, a Broadway quality or expected to be, but you get an idea, and quite often they'll do a lot of show tunes and tunes and so on. And that's and I really enjoy that. I love seeing that. You've kind of already painted a picture of what your high school experience was like musically. Can you just kind of describe, you know, where did you fit into the hierarchy when you were in high school? Were you <laughs> one of the the jocks, or where did you no. fit in? No, not at all. I didn't have the athletic ability. Uh, or the size. I was a beanpole kid, you know, so I did not have football player size or anything close to it. Um, I was, um, I was, I don't know if nerd is quite studious. I think is probably the better, the better word. I was a very dedicated student, had g- excellent grades, but I did get involved in um, public speaking and some in theater, at least my senior year. Um, not musical. But uh, I did I had a, a small role in, um, in in a couple of in one play anyway, and um, so I, I I kind of expressed myself that way through doing speech activities, and that also got me into radio broadcasting, um, and journalism, and then TV news, which I was um, professional for forty one years. We'll get to that in just a bit, yeah. but did you go to the high school dances, and do you remember what you would have been slow dancing to? Oh, um, I did go to some of the dances, went to prom. I don't recall what the slow dance would have been to, though, however. <laughs> that's a good point. I don't know. Don't recall. Yeah, some, yeah, that's one of those things. Either you remember it like it was the best day of your life, or it just got lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so when you were in high school, did you know you wanted to pursue journalism? Was that something, or when did that, like, enter your perspective? Uh, pretty much by senior year. I had it in my mind. I wanted to do something in broadcasting, uh, and I really enjoyed news, public affairs. Um, so I, it took a while in college before I figured out 
I needed to pick one or the other. I needed the journalism degree or I needed the broadcast element, um, one or the other. And then so I did major in journalism in college uh, because I felt it was important to, to, to learn the reporting skills, interviewing skills, and so on. Um, but I'd say by senior year of high school, I was pretty focused on what I wanted to do. I was fairly fortunate and rare in that regard. Were you being inspired by any of the journalists, either TV or radio or print, uh, at that time? Oh, certainly, yeah. Cronkite, first and foremost, the man, Walter Cronkite. Um, and I uh, and I was also um, very aware of some of the other broadcasters, some of the local ones in Chicago who were very well known, the anchor people, and... Um, and some of the reporters, even, um, you know, certainly when I was in college, uh, young Dan Rather coming up at CBS um, and in the late 60s, for that matter, too, as a reporter and then later as anchor. Was TV always your goal or did you sort of wind up there? No, I kind of wound up there. You know, radio was my first first love. And I did do some professional radio, um, newscasting, show hosting, um, commercial reads, the whole bit, you know, voicing. I had a a broadcast license. I had a third-degree ticket, as we called it, so I could sign a small station, low wattage on air, and and operate it. And and, and those were some of the first paying jobs I had in the broadcast field. So what then led you to TV? Um, Got an offer from a station. They heard me on, uh, on the radio in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and um, the news director reached out and said, uh, when you get out of grad school, I got to offer you a job. Uh, you'll be general assignment reporter. I want you to start covering City Hall and the courthouse beat here in Cedar Rapids and other TV stories. And you'll have a camera person. You'll get to shoot some video, uh, some video film back in those days, then later video. Uh, and so I jumped at it and said, yeah, okay, fantastic. Did it take any getting used to to being on on camera versus you know us in radio? We get to look like whatever we look like and hide in the padded room. <laughs> yeah, uh, it took a little bit of getting used to, but not a lot. I was fairly comfortable. I'd done enough public speaking and extemporaneous speaking that I felt fairly comfortable. Um, you know, within reason. You know, sure. I, it took a little while when I was later did live TV, and people are standing around looking and staring to block all that out. But I learned to completely, you know, put on the blinders and not not see anything else going on around. How long were you in uh, Cedar Rapids before you moved on? Uh, about two and a half years, then moved to Minneapolis and in TV work for CB, the CBS station there for 21 years. Was that a just moving to a bigger market kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I wanted to move on, and um, so that was uh, the offer came, and a very good station, WCCO, uh, which was uh, one of the the flagship stations uh, locally in the in the country back in the the golden time of TV news, seventies, eighties, nineties, and um, so that I just had to go there. All right. Well, we'll get to your move to Southwest Florida in a little bit, but let's move on to your second song first. Uh, What would you like to do? This is the Righteous Brothers. I don't think we've had this on the show yet. This is kind of exciting. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and play Unchained Melody. Okay, I like your style. This is Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers from their 1965 album, Just Once in My Life. You know, it's a pretty sappy song, Mike. Oh, it is. I know. <laughs> I was just going to say, continuing on the, this is the sappiest person around. Um, yeah, it really is. But what an incredible song. And speaking of sappiness, that's kind of why it registered with me when I heard this again in uh, 1990. It was the, the um, theme for the movie Ghost, which was a huge box office hit in the United States and around the world, for that matter. And it brought this song, New Life. Um, This originally, as you mentioned, came out in 65. It got totally lost in the British invasion and rock and roll and everything. And uh, But it was revived in 1990, 91, became a number one, the number one hit 
of those years in many countries around the world. That's when I heard it again. And what it meant to me was that longing for love lost. And every human being, no matter how much you may try different, you're going to have your heart broken in this life. It's going to happen. Um, can't be avoided and um, hurts like the devil, but it's part of life. And uh, this song touches that that longing, that anxiety, that worry. Um, are, does love still exist? My love is to you, but do you love me in the same way back? Um, and that's um, that's where this meant a lot to me because I had been through some breakups and all kinds of stuff that happens in life, including a divorce at that point, and um, or, or a marriage, and a marriage that was not going particularly well at that point. We weren't divorced actually, um, so it did it. it meant a lot in, in those terms, that, that longing, that feeling that comes across, I think, so incredibly well in the vocals from um, one of the Righteous Brothers, Bobby Hatfield, was the tenor who, who sang. And um, that's why. So when you were watching Ghost and the song was on, you were really feeling it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh, this is, again, this is unrequited love. This is love lost. And um, that's part of human emotion and such a key to, to human beings. As I say, can't avoid it. You know, I was going to ask you if the ghost thing fit into it, but I didn't realize that it hadn't been a you know super popular song prior to Ghost, because I remember when Ghost came out, and certainly this song was you know all over the place suddenly, but I didn't realize that it had sort of been lost in the shuffle in the early days. That's, uh, that's my understanding. I don't have any remembrance of it from my high school period back in the 60s. Um, or junior high or anything, uh, it did not get promoted incredibly well by the record producers and that that album that you mentioned from the Righteous Brothers, and certainly some of their other hits uh, were much bigger. Like you've lost that loving feeling and so on. They had a lot of hits, uh, but this one kind of went under the radar and just sort of sat there for a lot of your decades before the producers revived it and and brought it a second life. And and I think in a it's I think it's three minutes and thirty eight seconds something like that pretty short top forty <laughs> length for that era, um, but the vocal emotion that Bobby Hatfield um, portrayed and and brought across was just amazing, um, just an incredibly intense song I think. When was the last time you watched the movie Ghost? Oh, gosh, that's been quite a while now. <laughs> yeah, it's been years. <laughs> very interesting movie, you know, did did very well. And if nothing else, it certainly brought new life to, uh, to this song. Hmm. Um, so let's get back to your journalism arc. How did you wind up in southwest Florida? What was that all about? Yeah, I had spent 21 years in Minneapolis, and by the late 1990s, I was starting to feel I wanted to have – I wanted to be in a smaller area. I wanted to warm a warm area also. I had been in Minnesota in, in a lot of uh, many, many blizzards, um, lots of ice storms, uh, and so on, short summers <laughs> for years. And I thought I'd, I really uh, love playing golf, and I thought I want to be in southwest Florida. I had come down here as a tourist and uh, to get warm. I thought that would be a great place to be. It's smaller. And certainly in the late 90s, it was so much smaller than it is now. Um, so I came down here and went to work for uh, WINK-TV, Wink, and as an anchor reporter and um, remained there for 18 and a half years. Was there any consideration of, you know, looking over at the East Coast or other parts of Florida? Or since you'd been here, you just wanted to be here? Well, I did look a little bit in other places. I, I know that I had looked some in uh, – in Texas, and didn't really look in Arizona, but I wanted someplace uh, warm. But I, and I also wanted it to be a little bit smaller and slower paced. I felt that I was kind of um, I don't know why I was in a mood for sort of a smaller market, a smaller, a slower pace of life, I guess. And uh, you could call it a midlife crisis or whatever. But I just felt I needed to make that that shift and that change, and I did. And um, and the offer came through here, 
And so I jumped at it, threw myself wholeheartedly into it for 18 years. When you got down here, what were sort of the main differences between doing journalism in Fort Myers, Southwest Florida, versus Minneapolis? I mean, you know, I know you were still probably covering the same kinds of things, but certainly there must be some, you know, differences. Well, there were, yeah, there were a lot of differences. The environmental stories here were so much uh, deeper and more important than they were up there. Um, and, and, and just so vital to everything. And I did start covering environment here right away in the late 90s. Um, and the other thing, at least from a more of a job perspective, is that uh, this is a non-union area. Uh, Minneapolis did have unions so that I, I was unable to touch any, any equipment. I was unable to, uh, I think the most they would allow us is to put a, a video into a recorder and listen to it to pull or to listen for soundbite in, from interviews. That was as much hands-on as you could do. Everything else was unionized. Um, here it wasn't. So everybody kind of did a little bit of everything, you know. And um, I'd say that was that was different. But, um, you know, the culture here is so different. The pace of life is so different from northern cities um, and and that was that was totally different too. And certainly when I went out to places like Immokalee for the first time and did stories there, I mean that was um, that was a bit of an eye opener for sure. I, uh, I I had been on many Indian reservations in South Dakota and Minnesota, and um, and those places are not exactly you know some of those they need an awful lot of help. In those places, they need better housing and a lot of things. And when I went to Immokalee, same thing. It was like, oh, my goodness, I could not believe some of what I saw there in the late 90s. It's improved a lot since then, but there are still issues. Would it be possible for you to sort of come up with what would be maybe the most notable story that you, you know, had a hand in covering here in southwest Florida? Well, I th- probably the most notable that got the most attention was uh, Hurricane Charlie. I was in Punta Gorda when it went through and then was reporting right after, as soon as we could get out of a, a safe shelter to get out to our live truck and fire it up. Fortunately, wasn't destroyed in it um, and immediately did reports and was on CNN right away. Um, I think some of the other significant stories that I did related to um, – the um, some of the professional baseball and and the whole situation where will the Boston Red Sox stay in this area? Will the plans come through to build them a new stadium, which they were demanding? And um, and and I was kind of front and center in a lot of that reporting. And and then later in uh, more recent years, the water quality issues. Uh, I remember doing toxic algae stories as far back as. 2005, and uh, and then that continued, and it seemed to become more intense and worse just about every other summer all the way until I retired at the end of 16, and still continues now. You know, Florida kind of has a reputation. Did you ever get to cover any weird or stories that were odd for some reason? Well, um, let's see. I, I don't know odd. We did... I always enjoyed the time we got to go out into the country, out into places like uh, the Devil's Gardens in uh, Henry County, as uh, the pioneers called it. They figured this uh, there's nothing out there but palmetto and alligators and snakes. And I did some stories out there, and they're pretty fascinating stuff just to, to find the very few old pioneers who were still living there. And I did a couple of stories, too, with some of the people who were bought out in the Everglades Restoration, people who, um, you know, literally were living off the grid out in the Everglades. And, um, you know, that was their lifestyle. But eventually their land got bought up and they were forced out. And then the land was restored to uh, natural water flow. This is a, a question we could probably talk for an hour about, but can you reflect on the changes that you've seen in the world of journalism over the stretch of your career? Well, um, sadly, yeah, and and it, it is a sad uh, state of affairs, to be honest. I, I never thought in my wildest dreams back coming out of college and starting my radio TV career that we would see social media having the kind of influences that we see that we would see cable 
cable news outlet uh, outlets openly taking political sides. I mean, you want to talk about the anti-Walter Cronkite things that we see now, um, and it's all part of it's our reality. And uh, and I also see the um, the economic uh, the economics of mainstream media being so difficult that not a lot of mainstream media survive at all with the same kind of quality and staffs that they used to have. Um, they have been decimated by the changes in economics and by the fact that everybody gets their news on their on their phone and uh, or the tablet. And um, so the, the Nielsen ratings don't mean what they used to and the money doesn't roll in. And you see um, the newspapers owned by the same people, as we see in the news press, Daily News, same company owns both. Uh, the staff is sort of combined, and um, they just don't have the people to do the kind of reporting that is uh, necessary. You know, and the technology's changed so much, obviously. I remember, um, you know, I took a break from radio back in, like, maybe 2013, and um, I worked at the Alliance for the Arts in Fort Myers, and they were beta testing. Facebook was beta testing. It's, you know, the way we can go live now, which we, we take for granted now. Mm-hmm. And we were one of the beta testers, and I was broadcasting the award ceremony of the, uh, you know, we had a, an exhibit, and we were giving out awards. And I remember thinking, you know, you know, like last week, it took a satellite truck to do this. Yeah. And now right. I can just hold my phone, yeah. and anybody in the world yeah. that wants to watch it can. And there's some upsides to that, but I think maybe there's some downsides to that too. Yeah, no, that's very, very much true. Yeah, you're right. The the change in technology has been so intense, and and just so fast. Um, it's amazing. And um, I, I just hope that somehow in the next gener- th- through the next generation, we find a way to work through the situation where, and I don't know how it's going to happen, and we face this every, all the time in our journalism classes. Okay, when are we going to get to, are we ever going to get to a point where people can judge what's real and what's not real and how they're being manipulated? Um, I don't know how we're going to get to that point. I hope we do for the sake of our country and society, but I, the answer has not shown itself yet. That's a perfect pivot then to uh, Democracy Watch and your time at FGCU. When you were back, you know, reporting and anchoring, would you have seen yourself as a, you know, a college professor at some point, <laughs> or was that something that you sort of wound up in, you know, happenstance-wise? Well, it was more happenstance. No, I didn't. Um, you know, people had occasionally said, oh, you know, you can teach after you're done with the TV biz or whatever. And I th- I don't know that I have the patience for that. I, I don't know about that. And um, But once I uh, retired and I realized I still need to have something to do, um, I can't just sit around and, and watch TV. You've got to have something. Um, and I still had energy and health, thank goodness. So um, I reached out to a variety of um, groups. I looked at public relations and those communication kind of jobs. Um, but then I got in touch with uh, FGCU and the journalism program, Professor Cribbs here, and um, he had an opening for an adjunct instructor for a couple classes. And so right away in January of 17, I started uh, started teaching. What's that been like that. working with students? Oh, it's been fantastic. I've been so pleased uh, that I've done this. It's been a, you know, a, at this point, a, uh, a second career it, at this point is a fairly short one. Five and a half years I've been doing it, uh, some of it full-time, some part-time, um, but I really enjoy it. The students have been fantastic, and uh, I've really enjoyed FGCU, the support from the university, the program, collaboration we're doing now with WGCU, with Democracy Watch, teaching some of the upper-level uh, students about local government and public affairs reporting, and helping GCU fill some of those holes that uh, the mainstream media used to cover local government don't have the people anymore. So GCU is trying to step in and and fill some of the some of the void there. You were my professor too for a few classes. <laughs> That's right, I was Jared. Yep, your producer indeed. Uh, yes, I have two or three at least. Yeah, and Jared yeah. is a great example. Here's a young man who's found his way here at FGCU and at WGCU. 
And when I think back when I first met you, I don't know that you had any, maybe you were interested in radio. I'm not not sure. at all. Not at all, yeah. Not at okay. all. Like, you know, just with my podcast, but, you know, that's that's not necessarily radio, but now I'm here. Yeah, right. I mean, this is where sometimes it takes that. Something just triggers, and it's like, this is my love. This is what I got to do. And that's and, how I wound up here, actually. Yeah. I was an FGCU student. They didn't even have a journalism program at the time, but I was a communication major, and they offered me an internship at the station, and I thought, oh, that's what I'm going to do. And here we are. Oh, fantastic. That is great. Well, that, you know, that just shows the opportunities that are here, and there are so many of them. And I know even now the the, the people who are graduating this semester or have graduated um, who from GCU, they're getting jobs out in the media. Uh, there were a couple of our people from Democracy Watch who used their clips and their printed stories from uh, Democracy Watch and WGCU's website to help them get full-time jobs here locally, not somewhere else, but here in southwest Florida. Full-time, decent-paying, good starting wages. You know, when they first started coming up with that idea of Democracy Watch, it really um, resonated with me because, like you were saying before, you know, the news press and the Naples Daily News used to have so many reporters that they did have people at city council meetings and county commission meetings and, you know, high school football games, for that matter. And then that's all just gone away. So a lot of these policymakers, without somebody watching them, just can kind of do whatever they want. And that's really not healthy for our society. No, no, it isn't at all. And and that's... That has become so very true in the past year that I've uh, talked with the various students who go to these meetings and are assigned to be there and to cover what's happened. Some of the um, the elected officials say, you know, we haven't seen a reporter at our meetings in months and months. It's great to have you here. And they feel that way, at least until you start asking tough questions. But anyway, that's, that's what we're there to do and so that they're not operating in darkness. And, and that's uh, so important. You know, I can imagine a lot of young people who go into journalism are looking for some glamour in it. You know, the people, the students that you've worked with who've been in this Democracy Watch, have they just taken right to doing some of this more wonky stuff? Well, they have, yes. Um, I think they, and, and I feel real good about that, that they they feel and have seen how important local issues are and that um, many of the things that affect our, our lives here are decided locally. We're talking a lot of the transportation issues, a lot of the roads during season, a lot of issues with environment, very much local. Um, affordable housing, lack of, very much a local issue. Um, and all of this stuff is decided right here. Some of it, yeah, they get some direction and money from Washington, you bet, but ultimately the specifics come down to our local decision makers and what they do with the funds and what they think are priorities. And and they've come to appreciate that, how important it is. Uh, before we get to your third song, I want to ask you a couple questions about concerts. Have you been to many concerts in your life? You know, not an awful lot. To be honest, um, I was not a huge concert goer, so I can't claim to have been at incredible concerts by the Stones in the 1970s or anything. I recall one anyway. Uh, and that was fun in a Madonna concert, of all things, in the 1980s. Not quite sure where that came from, but it was there. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> she came to Minneapolis. and um, But I have, I have never been a huge concert goer, to be, to be honest. I've been with my, my wife to uh, some Josh Groban concerts, at least pre-pandemic anyway. And, I mean, he's an amazing performer as well. So I got to go back to Madonna. So did you buy Madonna tickets, or did somebody have Madonna tickets? <laughs> no, they had, what was the origin they, there? <laughs> I did not pay money for that. No, uh, I, somebody had tickets, and so I went, and it, it was pretty interesting. You know, it, it was she was she was the hottest brand going. You know, if it wasn't Michael Jackson in the 1980s, who was absolutely the top of the mountain, um, it was Madonna, and everybody else was, you know down there somewhere. All right, that's really funny. Okay, well, it is time for your third song. Uh, this is the Fleetwood Mac song. Are you going to want to listen to it first, or do you want to tell a story? Yeah, this is Stevie Nicks, and uh, this is um, Landslide. All right, well, let's listen to it. This is Landslide uh, by Fleetwood Mac from the album Life Becoming a Landslide. It was released in 1975. It's Mike Walter's third and final song on this episode of Three Song Stories. Well, a landslide bring you down. 
So what's that make you feel? Oh, wow, that is just <laughs> it's so it's such a timeless song. I think all three of my choices are kind of in the timeless variety. But this is about changes in life. This is pretty simple to explain. And this is not so much happiness as the inevitability of change in life and how are you going to handle it. And um, even though this song was originally recorded, as you said, a long, long time ago, coming up on 50 years, uh, but it has gotten a lot of revival in recent years. And I, um, I heard it, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago and became a fan of it and, and a huge fan of Stevie Nicks. I had been before a Fleetwood Mac back in the day. Um, and and of her and her songs, incredible uh, female vocalist, incredible vocalist. Um, but I became appreciative of this because of changes and how it's kind of like um, everybody has their heart broken in life. Of course they do. Everybody gets older. Yep, can't fight it. And so you've got to cope with it and deal with it. And um, it just it's that kind of song that resonates that way. Um, just when you think you have things set and you're looking up at uh, your reflection in the snow-covered mountain, the landslide, Avalanche's going to pull it down. And so it goes. Things change. When you listen to this song, do you always sort of reflect that way? Yeah, I do. I mean, that's the way it hits me. I don't think so much about people as it just about changes in life. And you think you're on a, a certain path, and life suddenly veers different ways. Um, and then you just have to adjust, and that's the way it is. When we asked you to come up with three songs, was this one that was easy to put on the list, or did you have to find it? No, this is pretty easy. This one was probably the easiest, actually, <laughs> compared to the first two. I had to think a little bit harder and a little deeper and longer, but this is one that I I just consider this um, you know, just a classic song, so beautifully delivered by Nick's and the words. I mean, it's just, it's right there. We talked about um, Broadway shows. Do you mm-hmm. have any um, musical movies that you're a fan of? Um, hmm, I can't really... Oh, let me think here. Oh, gosh. I, I guess I, I was always a big fan of um, Music Man, of course. This goes way, way back. And, you know, some of the... Some of the well-known classics, um, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, having been oh, wow, a Wow, te- I hadn't thought native. of that in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that's one that is, um, I mean, it's got some amazing music in it. It really does. Um, I would not necessarily pick it for this broadcast because it's more of just comedy-type stuff but um, and not deep meaning, but... Talk about a fun movie, the original. Um, it, it was pretty good, Burt Reynolds and so on. Uh, that was that was a great one. Um, so, yeah, I guess, mm, I guess those, Les Miserables, you know. Yeah, you, you can't resist that kind of music. I have to go back and watch that now. I'm curious to see if Best Little Whorehouse in Texas holds up for its time. <laughs> I know it was it, it kind of fit right into, like you said, that Burt Reynolds era. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be interested to see what it feels like today. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it's um, yeah. In some ways, there's there's some there's some things that are still still could ring true, as you know. One of the, and and I've even played some clips in in one of my journalism uh, classes about the politician, the governor, who has to rule: Are we going to close down the whorehouse or not? And of course, he's guided by what else? Public opinion polls. What do the polls tell him to do? That's what he's going to do. Uh, but he's not going to answer any questions about doing it. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Well, that, that's <laughs> politics, folks. And they had they nailed it. Absolutely, they just absolutely nailed it. And um, that role in that part of that movie is just classic. It's just right on. It's what you need them to know about dealing with politicians quite often. All right, we're going to speed round you here. So, um, so Rorschach on these answers. Nickname? You got a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you'd be willing to share? Nickname? Um, Mikey. I mean, that's just short for Mike. But uh, I was Mikey in a lot of places, you know, because of that that uh, TV commercial with the little kid who was going to eat. Let Mikey eat it. 
you know, I was the right age for that to be on when I was that age, and I had a haircut that looked like that. So I really got Mikey as a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the only nickname. Um, karaoke. Karaoke. Uh, that I have not ever done. I have not had uh, – I quit drinking many, many years ago, and that probably has a lot to do with the lack of karaoke Alcohol and karaoke seem to go together, and uh, I quit the booze a long time ago. So <laughs> I can't say that I've done karaoke. No. If I did, though, I would probably do – it would have to be Journey, Don't Stop Believing. And we ought to make that happen. I'd like to see that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we have joked about doing a karaoke night with uh, with our past guests, so maybe we'll make that oh, happen. Oh, my gosh. Someday. Oh, Lord. You're going to drive me back to drink now before – no, don't do that. I've been sober too many years, so. <laughs> okay. Um, if you <clears> – <throat> excuse me. <clears throat> okay. If you were a championship wrestler, what music would you come in on? Oh, my God. Well, I'd have to come in. I, I think it would have to be um, – Probably maybe the Star Wars theme, oh, that wow. big boom, 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 the original Star Wars movie. I haven't heard an answer like that before. So the Star Wars theme, not the like the Empire, like dun, 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 dun. <laughs> No, no, the original. Um, You'd be the good guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. What would your wrestler name be? Oh, gosh, it would probably be the uh, the Blonde Hulk. The Blonde Hulk. Yeah, well, I used right. to be blonde anyway until... Age took its toll, but yeah. If I could bulk up to about 280 pounds, you know, that would be. <laughs> if you had to guess, what song would you say you've listened to the most times in your life? Mm. Um, probably, oh my goodness, I would say Don't Stop Believing by Journey uh, or Crazy by Patsy Cline. Song you wish you could hear again for the very first time? Hmm, probably, I think, Hey Jude by the Beatles. Album you wish you could hear again for the very first oh. time? Uh, Beatles White Album. Yeah. You're doing good at this. Um, are there any songs that you will avoid listening to primarily because you don't want to be reminded of where they take you back? <laughs> now, that is a good one. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes, there are a couple of songs by Journey and uh, who was the the woman from Bonnie Tyler? Uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Mm-hmm. You remember mm-hmm. that, that, that gigantic hit? And I always thought it you know, that was even too sappy for me. Okay, uh, that's why I wouldn't. That one takes me back to it's like I don't necessarily want to. Yeah, and she did a video. She did a music video to that song too. That I not sure anybody ever fully understood. Uh, didn't go with the song at all. And um, but th- those would be a couple of the songs that are just too uh, too. Um, yeah. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every human simultaneously, which would you choose? Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, Lord. <laughs> every human being? Um, I would think it's got to be one of the love songs. I don't know exactly which one I would pick. Um Love makes the world. Was there a song "Love Makes the World Go Around" or something along those lines? Um, I think we're going back now. I'm thinking back to um, "Love Makes the World Go Round" by Dion Jackson. Okay, there you go. That's a song that exists. Yeah, I don't know if you want to choose that. That would probably be the one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and people need to remember that. And um, that, if I had to pick one, it would probably be that. Um, what album would you choose if you were like on a you know an island and you only had one album you got to listen to for the rest of time? Mm-hmm. I would probably pick uh, Rumors, Fleetwood Mac, their incredible hit from '77. I think that one. I believe it or not, I might also pick if I had a double pick, maybe Thriller, Jackson. <laughs> I know two kind of different albums there but but two amazing albums yeah, they really are period yeah. if i had to listen for the rest of time that might carry me 
I'm picturing you now on a deserted island dancing around a thriller for every day. <laughs> you could have all the moves down before oh, long. Yeah, absolutely. Practice. Uh, you'd have lots of time to practice, yes, indeed. So what would your 14-year-old self, who was crushing on Lorraine, if I'm remembering that correctly, <laughs> uh, think of who you uh, are today in the world? Oh, I, I think I would have no idea. It would just be like, what in the world? You've got to be kidding me. There's no way. That I went into to radio, TV. That I went into teaching. Um, I moved to Florida. What is in Minnesota? What is all this? No, I I, I think would be totally stunned. I'd have no idea. Certainly at age fourteen. Um, I I don't know. I think I think the fourteen year old hopefully would still recognize some of the character traits, which I hope are fairly decent character traits generally pretty good ones uh, for the most part. Um, but beyond that, I think trying to predict life, yeah, no way. Hmm. Okay, it is time for you to recommend the three people that you will share this with that you think we could maybe get on. Okay, yes. Uh, I would I would think first would be Lee County Commissioner Brian Hammond, okay. who is a, an FGCU graduate and a a former media person. I worked with him at Wink for a while. And before he uh, got into politics, was in the media. Um, and I think, secondly, Lois Tomey, longtime anchor for mm-hmm. Wink TV. I don't know if that's allowed uh, because of uh, the commercial. She's still working for TV and has been at Wink for 31. Oh, we will have her. We have no problem. It might be, the problem might be on her end. Well, it could be. Yeah, I don't know. But um, I, it would be fascinating to hear. She's been in this market for like 32 years and been a main anchor for 29 or 30 of those. And that's incredible at any size TV market, big, small, and in between. Rare. Um, love to hear what she picked. And I would think um, another person, Judd Cribbs, who's with the journalism program here at FGCU and is a former um, uh, media person and colleague at Wink as well, and he's worked in Cincinnati, too, before that. So, um, yeah, I think he would be very interesting. And he's got a great sense of humor, far better than mine, too, so be real entertaining. Those are three fine choices, and I know we can get Judd, but I definitely want you to do your best to get uh, Brian and Lois because we would love to have them. All right, well, I'll alert them. We had, um, uh, I don't know if you are aware of this, but we had, during year one, we had uh, Frank Mann did the show. Oh, yeah. Sure. And uh, he was he was an amazing guest. He's one of the episodes that we put in people's hands if we want to tell them what the show's all about. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. Well, Frank is a, an incredible man, uh, no pun intended. He, he, just, he was a great contact of mine over the years, and he just knows so much history and so much institutional knowledge here. It's um, incredible. I think he's, what, 81, 81 or 82, still in office, still a commissioner. Yep. All right, Mike, you've done did it. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? No, no. I, I Great talking with you. Great questions. You can, you had me stumped there. I had to actually really think hard. But, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate this time to share some of these musical memories with you. Uh, you bet. We, we really appreciate it. We make three-song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and she's host. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. I'm using this week's parting tune to highlight my favorite television show of all time, Northern Exposure. It ran on CBS from 1990 to 19. And was appointment viewing for me at the time. It's about a New York doctor who got a scholarship for medical school that required him to spend four years practicing medicine in a super small town in Alaska to pay back that debt. It's kind of a fish out of water story. Well, it did have a brief stint in syndication. It basically disappeared from the face of media in 1996 or so. I later learned that was because of the way the music rights had been originally negotiated. It has a killer soundtrack, and apparently the creators had only licensed the music for the original run, so relicensing all those same songs would have been too costly. They did release a version on DVD, which had cheesy elevator-style music later that decade, but I tried to watch it, and it just... 
fucking sucked. Uh, goes to show the power of music and visual storytelling, I'd say. Well, it turns out it has recently been re-released on Blu-ray in the UK with all the original music, and I got my hands on a copy and have been re-watching it. It's just so good. It's quirky and thoughtful and deep and funny and heartfelt and such an amazing character study. I can hardly believe it was on TV at the time in retrospect, and I'm just so happy to have it back in my life, original music and all. If you ever get a chance to watch it, do it. It's amazing, and I assure you it's well worth the time. This is its theme song by a guy named David Schwartz. Hearing it will always bring me great joy. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. You have bylaws, and you have tried to breach them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why is security walking in right now? It's weird.